Well, here we are, July 12th. Make sure I got myself turned on. I'm still back there getting dressed. In my own stand? All right. July the 12th, and whether it's great to see so many of you back here in the building together, and again, whether you're here in the building worshiping with us or you're watching us streaming or online, wherever you are, uh, our God is omnipresent. We are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ together. It is uh, great to see so many of your faces and see kids in the building again, or in the parking lot. And um, from my heart, one more time, I promised myself I wouldn't do this, but uh, the Lord just keeps reminding me to do what uh, he wants me to do, not what Randy wants. So from my heart, one more time, whether you're in the building or you're watching Facebook Live or wherever, wherever you're watching it, whatever capacity, how, however you are worshiping with us together. We are the body of Christ. And that unity that Paul spends so much time writing about in the New Testament is vital. We have to love one another, despite the fact there are going to be things that we don't agree on. That non-essential things, and we have to not let Satan drive a wedge between us, but just continue to love one another, focus on the essentials and the opportunities that God gives us to share the gospel and to worship together, uh, whether it's here, uh, again, uh, whether you're watching or whether you're in the building, and then throughout the week we can go be salt and light, please Continue to pray for each other, pray for your church, for your leaders, and for all that God has got going on. But don't let things that, whether it's masks or it's decisions in general about things maybe you don't like, don't let that divide you. Don't let that be something that uh, Satan uses. Just uh, There are things that we, if you don't agree, you don't agree. That, that's fine. We can't stop loving each other. We can't stop being brothers and sisters. There's a reason God uses family terms in Scripture to describe the church, because that's exactly what we are. We are the bride of Christ. You can't get any more family than bride. We are his children. Obviously, pretty close relationship. Father, there's a reason God wants us to pray to him as our father not to the big guy in the sky or the man upstairs or the force or, or God who is not the deity part of our lives. He's our father. He's intimately involved with us. And so keep praying for each other. And speaking of praying, if, if you can do so and want to on Tuesday nights here in the building, room 6 at 6.15, just kind of we're having a come and go prayer time, you can come. Uh, anytime, 6.15, the people are still coming and we'll shut the building down when they're not. But you can come and, and pray if you, with other uh, Christchurch people or you can pray where you happen to be on Tuesday night during that time. You should be praying all the time, pray without ceasing. And I mean this with all my heart. The most significant thing we can do for our country, for each other, for uh, leaders, for the church, is to pray. God chooses to work through the prayers of his children. Do we completely understand that? No. 
But one of the things, the primary thing that it does, as I pray, as we pray, it is to align ourselves with the will of God so that what we are doing, we're not just doing church or doing religion. Uh, what we are doing is sharing the person of Jesus Christ. So again, if you can do that on Tuesday nights, we will be here. Also, this Saturday, being the third Saturday of the month, what's going on at the Bartley campus? Very good. See, it becomes part of your DNA, the help group. This Saturday at the Bartley campus, uh, it's really going to be a, a, a difficult week because Marcus and I are in charge. Could be a problem. Uh, Chris is, uh, is going to be out of town. So it was funny. We got together this week, and Chris knows how I am about making lists. So he said, he said get your legal pad and follow me. And so I followed him around to the different rooms and different freezers and different. I made, made me a list. And I'll have my list on Saturday. The problem is, can I remember what this means? Or will Rhett and Mike be able to count on the parking lot? That's always is, is an issue. So if you can help Saturday, great. Uh, we're going to start setting up and getting ready about 8 o'clock, and we'll start uh, actually handing the food out around, what, 9 o'clock, Rhett, something like that. And we'll be there till noon, and then we'll tear down. So if you can help Saturday, and it's... It's obviously going to be a tough day because it's going to be, uh, based on the weather forecast, hot. Hard to believe it'll be hot in Memphis in July, but it will be really hot Saturday. And so particularly for the folks in the parking lot, it's going to be tough. Uh, for, and they've been so faithful. But again, Saturday, if, if you can help, that would be great. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. I mentioned this last week as we look at you can take your hand out if you have one. Uh, if not, the attribute we're looking at last week, this week, and probably next week, and I'll tell you why in a moment, is that our God is good. Our God is good. I mentioned this last week, and I want to reiterate it as we get into further into Psalm 73 today. This particular attribute of God, that God is good all the time, is vital the believers in Jesus Christ understand, not just intellectually agree with, but that it is part of our DNA, as I mentioned a moment ago about the help group. It's part of who you are and how you live out your life. What, what Peter was sharing a, a few moments ago about during your week when things are very difficult and, and, and hard and there's a lot of just difficult things going on in individual lives as well as corporately throughout our world even, Right now, one of the most important things I can do as a believer in Jesus Christ or you can do is just stop. It's one of the reasons I love Psalm 73 and read a portion of scripture and meditate on what your God, your dad is saying to you. And in Psalm 73, what you see here is Asaph crying out to his father, I don't understand. And we've all been there. When you're sharing your faith with someone and you're trying to get them to understand why you are a Christ follower, particularly in our culture in the United States, one of the primary, if not the, 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 the primary objection to following Jesus Christ for years and years was the church is full of hypocrites. Guess what? It is. Because we're not perfect. But now the primary objection, I believe, is that, where's your God? Where is he? How come he ain't doing something about 
the coronavirus? How come he isn't doing something about racism? How come he isn't doing something about abortion? Why isn't he doing something about this evil and that evil and that evil? And it is vital that we understand this principle that we talked about it last week, and we're going to look at a different angle today as we continue to walk through Psalm 73. That our God is always working good. If you look at the top of your handout, Romans 8:28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, believers. We're called for God's purpose to be salt and light in our world until he, he takes us home. We are those who love God. We are his children. We are the church, the called ones, the ecclesia. That's who we are. And God said, Jesus said, this is my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Is that, that's an offensive statement in, in the Koine Greek in which Jesus spoke those words. Is that we are going to go out into the world and we are going to be persecuted. We are going to be attacked and we are going to be mocked. We are going to be physically even, in their case, and in case of, of many believers around our world today and may eventually come to our shores, physically incarcerated, physically beaten, physically have your lives taken. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Where was he going when he was carrying his cross? Well, he was going to die. And so I have to understand that this priority in my life as a believer supersedes all others. Jesus made it clear by saying this way, if you love me, you've got to hate your parents. And most of you, if you're younger, that might be easy for you to do. But clearly that's not what he meant. To hate, because he said love your enemies. He didn't want you to hate in that sense your parents or anyone else. But what he wanted you to understand, you have to love me with all your being. With all your being. And nothing can be more important to you than I am and your relationship with me. Look at Psalm 34 on your handout. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste. I love that metaphorical picture. Blessed is the man who trusts in him, the Lord. So go to Psalm 73. We're just going to read the first three verses. This is what we talked about last week. Asaph is struggling with this. That's number one on your handout. Asaph is struggling with the goodness of God. Psalm 73, 1. Truly, God is good to Israel. He knows that. We mentioned last week, Asaph is a worship leader. This is not a neophyte. This is not someone who just got saved today. This is not somebody who just has just come into the church. This is a, is a maturing believer pure in heart, wanting to love God, loves God, wanting to serve God, does serve God. He's leading them in worship. And he says, I know God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. I know he's also good to me. He's good to the nation as a covenant-keeping God, pure to Israel, but I also know he's good to me as an individual. Talked about that last week, verse 2. What's the first word in verse 2? But, here's the crux of the matter. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's struggling. He has honest 
talked about this last week, but I'll go back and reiterate it or, or, or re-exegete it. He said, I've got honest doubt. Nothing wrong with that. It's a, if it drives you to seek truth, doubt is a good thing. You have to be honest and real with who you are. When you struggle, when you doubt, God knows that already. Don't try to hide it from him. You can't. Be real with him. Talk to him. Pray. Get into his word. Step back and examine your life and your heart and your relationships. And say, God, I know you're there. I know you're real. I know you're God and I'm, I'm not. I know you love me. I know you're good to me. And look back over all that God has done in your life. In the midst of the moment and the difficulty, Taste, you've tasted, you've seen the Lord is good, Psalm 34. Now you trust him. He's got this doubt. But then in verse 3, which is kind of where we are today, leading into verse 3, it says, I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph is simply being honest. I'm doubting. I'm struggling. And to be real frank, I'm envious. I'm envious of the wicked. The boastful. They're doing really well. They're not the pure in heart. Now, this, by the way, this could have been Jews. It could have been pagans. Probably was both that he was seeing. And he's saying, I look at them, the ones who don't want anything to do with God. They're not interested in being pure in heart. They're not interested in living for God. And I'm envious of them because they're doing really well. Now look at verse 4. This is kind of where we're going to pick up today. Starting at verse 4, he takes the next step as he's struggling and he's down and he's envious and now he's going to step into self-pity. I hope you don't see yourself in here, but I certainly saw myself in here at times in my life. Verse 4. There are no pangs in their death, the wicked and the boastful. There are no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. A lot of metaphors, a lot of words. But I think it's important that we walk through this because as I mentioned a moment ago, I mentioned it last week, I mentioned it this week, it's vital we understand this attribute beyond intellectually understanding it and agreeing to it, that it's, that's what genuine faith is. Genuine faith is not agreeing to a set of facts. Genuine faith is I agree that those set of facts are true, that Jesus is Lord, and then I surrender myself to those and it changes me. I'm not a Christian because I've chosen to follow this set of facts. I'm a, I'm a Christian because I have surrendered my life to the person of Jesus of Nazareth. I wasn't going to mention this, but I'm going to. God, the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do so, and uh, I hope God uses it. Most of you probably know who Don Lemon is on CNN, and you've probably heard his comment by now that Jesus Christ was not perfect. Tony Dungy, who I greatly admire and have admired for years, former coach of the Indianapolis Colts and a tremendous man of God. Tony Dungy shot back, anyone who believes the Bible does not agree with Don Lemon. Thank God for Tony Dungy stepping up. Here's the point. I can agree that Jesus Christ was a great man. I can agree that Jesus Christ was the greatest miracle worker that ever walked the planet. 
I can agree that Jesus Christ was the greatest teacher that ever lived. That that's not salvation. The Pharisees couldn't deny those things were true. They even mentioned, you read, not just the Bible, but you read Jewish historians like Josephus. They said, this guy did stuff nobody's ever done. Is he the Messiah? That was written by a non-believer Jewish man named Josephus. They understood you could not deny the miracles that he did. The Bible tells us we have just the ones that are recorded for us. And then at the end of John, the Gospel of John, it says if all the things that he did were written down, the books of the world could not contain them. So we just got to have a sampling. And still the greatest to this day, the most controversial figure that's ever walked the planet. He said, by the way, that would be the case. Why? Because he demands total surrender of myself to him as the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He could claim that and say that and it not be arrogant. Why? Because he is God. We have to understand that and understand that's what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower. I'm not following him as an alternative to something else. I'm following him because he is the only way to get to where I want to be. Eternal life, righteousness, peace. Why is that important? Well, back to Psalm 73. If you start looking around at those, that are, those who are mocking God and are saying Jesus was a great man and I don't even have a problem following him as a great man, but he is not God, then you don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. You can create whatever Jesus you want, and many have done that and are doing that, including, including preachers. That's why it's vital for us as believers to say, the Bible is the book by which I follow and do follow. He's the one I follow and by which I'm going to live my life. What does it say? So back to Psalm 73. His next step is self-pity. It says in verse 4, verse four even as these, the wicked, the boastful, the proud, even as they die, it doesn't seem to be uncomfortable for them like it is for those of us who are pure in heart. They don't fear death. They don't fear the judgment that's to follow. It's a satanic deception that's been going on since sin entered our planet. There's a lot of different ways it manifests itself. One of them is purgatory. If you could say to people, don't worry about what you did in this life, when you reach the next life, there'll be an opportunity for you to get it all right then. What does that then say to us as a, as a human race? Don't worry about it. Something that's become very popular in even, in even in evangelical circles and lives today is a thing called universalism. Which says, don't worry about it. Everybody goes to heaven. And even if you don't accept Christ in this life, you can accept him in the next. It's important that we love everybody. We understand that we're not all going to agree. But as Christians, we have to come back. The Bible is what we go by. So look back to what Asaph is saying. Even in their death, they don't seem uncomfortable. Charles Spurgeon said it, talking about this passage, wrote these words about the wicked and the boastful. They glide 
into eternity without a struggle. Just don't worry about it. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, judgment. Not reincarnation. Not another chance. The parable in Luke 16, Jesus made it clear. When you die, there are two places you go. You either go to torments or you go to paradise. And there's a great gulf fixed between the two. You can't cross over. That's why Christ came and did what he did. So that you can go to paradise when you die. Verse 5, as he talks about his self-pity. Verse 5 again, they're not in trouble as are other men like myself, Asaph, nor are they plagued like other men like myself, Asaph. They don't have the common troubles and the burdens that I have. They seem to, everything for them is going well. Everything for them seems to be fine. And you know what? There are a lot of people in this life, that's the way it is. If they're successful financially and they're successful in in their health, and they're doing well, their mindset, they don't need God. I know I'm dating myself, but uh, Ted Turner said that years ago. Bill Lambeer used to play center for the Detroit Pistons back in the 80s on those great teams. He said, said, I don't need somebody to die for me. But here's the issue. Let's say you live to be 100. At some point, you're going to what? You're going to die. It's pointed on the man who wants to die. I don't care who you are. At some point, you're going to die. And no matter how much money you made, I know you've probably never heard this phrase in your life, and you might want to write this down. It's incredibly significant. No matter how much money you've made in this life, you're not going to what? You ain't taking it with you. Now, if you've got kids that you don't want to leave it to, you can arrange that. We've done that. <laughs> My son is like, he did what? You can arrange to give it to whoever you want to, to benefit after you're gone. But you're not taking it with you. You don't need it in the next life, and it's not going to do you any good. And the other thing is, no matter how successful you are in this life, no matter what great health you might have, at some point you're going to face the great equalizer, death. You cannot ultimately escape it. And yet the Bible tells us, for those of us who are Christians, Christ followers, surrendered to him, born again, children of God, saved, whatever term you want to use, Christian, death has no fear for us. There are no pangs, sting, Asaph is struggling with these non-believers. Why do they not feel that sting and that pain? The great satanic deception. Don't worry about it. Ecclesiastes even tells us as Christians, the day you die is the best day of your life. Now, it's hard sometimes getting there. But God even uses that He's always working good because that's who he is. That's the sum total of his attributes is that he's always working good on our behalf. Even though we don't understand it, 
and we don't agree with how he's doing it, it might be an eternal good that he is working. We just don't know. Almost daily now, with a lot of the things that I struggle with on a mental capacity level and stress and all the things that are going on, almost daily, in some simple little way, God sends me a reminder that I'm working good, Randy. I know it doesn't look like it, but I am. Just, just yesterday, no, Friday and then yesterday, had two of them. Just out of the blue, somebody called me that I haven't talked to in years. That I was part of his life when he got saved, and he's now a young man and married and on his own. And he called me, and his dad had suddenly died. Just out of the blue. 60 seems young to me. And he said, I just want to call the people who had had, that meant a lot in my life, I just want to call and let you know. That, what did that say to me? What you do is important. Not because you're a pastor, but because you're a Christian and you care. It's important. Don't give up. Don't give up. I'm, even, I'm going to use that somehow for good. So this next step in his life was self-pity. Look at verse 6. As a result, he says, Aesop says, pride is their necklace. Get the metaphorical picture. Violence covers them like a garment. They're proud. They're cruel. And they wear that like a badge, a necklace, a garment. Everybody can see it. It's out front. It's who you are. They don't care. They're not worried about God, they're not worried about being pure in heart. All they're worried about is themselves. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Who cares? It's all about me getting what I can, putting it in my can, and sitting on my can. It's about me. And they're not worried about anything else. They wear it like a badge. Verse 7, their eyes bold with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They're not worn out. They're not emaciated. Like, like those of us who are doing everything we can to do it right, to do it God's way, they're comfortable. Verse 8, they scoff. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. The word here in mock in English, excuse me, in verse 8 again, they scoff and speak wickedly. That word in English, we get our word mock. They mock the pure in heart. They're arrogant toward those of us who are trying to follow Jesus Christ. They mock. We get our English word mock from it. Verse 9, they even mock God. They set their mouth against the heavens and their their tongue walks through the earth. We're successful on our own. We don't need God. Secular humanism, which is literally a religion now in our nation, secular humanism basically says, who's God? I am. I am. Nobody will tell me what to do. So then you get to verse 10. The next transition in Asaph's struggle, 
from doubt, envy, self-pity. And this is often what happens. And now he blames God. Verse 10. Therefore his people return here. The waters of the full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? How does God know? Look at verse 10. The first word is therefore. Looking back, therefore, because the wicked are doing so well and they're mocking and they're boasting and everything's going well with them. They seem to be doing whatever they want to do, mocking God with impunity. Therefore, God's people, those of us who are the pure in heart that are trying to serve God, we meditate on this. That's what verse 10 is saying. They meditate on this all day and we're confused. The Hebrew, in Hebrew, the phrase means this. It's a beautiful metaphorical picture in that language. Is that we greedily get drunk on this without being poisoned or intoxic or by poison or intoxicating drink. We just don't we just don't sip it. We drain it. And we're confused by what we see. We just don't look at it. We're surrounded by it. We're covered up in it. Then verse eleven. They say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Again, back to understanding this attribute. As bad as things look, even Christians or even people in church, to have doubt and seek truth is a good thing. But Asaph has reached the point here where he's saying, does God even know what's going on? Where is he? Because, here's the point, and here's the the criticism that you will get, you will hear. He can't know what's going on. He can't. Because if he did, he would what? He would do something about it. Now, what's the principle? God is, look back on your handout at the very top, God is always doing what? Working good. We talked about this last week, but one more time. We want God to do good on whose timetable? Ours. God says, I am doing good, and my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. What's your job? Trust me. Trust me. I know it's hard. I want to read you a passage from Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn there. I want you to just listen. Deuteronomy 30. In the law, God's bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. He set them free at the Exodus. So now he's giving giving Moses the law on how to understand living before in a pagan world As my chosen ones, my children, here's what I want you to understand. Deuteronomy 30, if you'll listen. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But... If your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, 
I announce to you today, you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land you cross over the Jordan, which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess Canaan. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that if that I, God, have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. This is what God's saying. I've called you out. You're mine. I'm giving you the promised land. And if you trust me, and if you live according to the law that I'm giving you, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have a good life. But if you choose not to do it my way, ultimately that will cost you. You will have, you'll pay a price. Now, back to Psalm 73. That's what God told the children of Israel he would do as a covenant-keeping God. In Asaph's mind, where he is in his struggle right now, he's saying it seems the exact opposite is happening. Those of us that are the pure in heart, we aren't getting all the... It's the non-believers, the wicked, the evil, the boastful. They're the ones that are getting all the benefits. Please, get this principle. God told him, I'm going to take care of you. Because there are so many theologians that preach this gospel of you can have whatever you want if you just claim it financially and physically. What God is talking about is I'm going to be your God and I'm going to take care of you and you'll be, but I'm not going to give you every single thing you want. What I'm going to give you is what you need. I'm going to take care of you. More than anything else, I'm calling you out from slavery in Egypt, bondage. I've set you free from that. And now I want you to go into the world and tell them about your God that set you free. Here's the picture for us. When I was born again, God set me free from bondage to sin and sent me out of the world and said what? Now go show them who your God is. And by the way, that's what the church is about. God has set us free. We are corporately the body of Jesus Christ and the bride of Jesus Christ. And we need to go out into our world and brag about our bridegroom. I know that's all Mary does all the time. That's what the church is supposed to do. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Who do you think he is? Let's talk about it. Now let me tell you who he is. Let me tell you what it means that God loved you so much that he came. We're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks this idea of what grace really means. I don't want to beg God to give me money, even though how many of us would turn money down if it was given? None of us would. What I want is for God to be pleased with me in every arena of my life, financially and in how I relate to others, how I show my faith in him. No, I don't like everything that happens. I have a dear, dear friend right now whose wife is dying. I don't like to see him going through that and her going through that. 
do I understand all that God is doing? No, but I do know one thing. It's caused me to think more and pray for him more than I had been before. She suddenly struck with this. It's hard. Life is. Now step back for a moment. Try to do your life without Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says my favorite word. Without him you have no hope. With him you have all hope. He's the anchor of your soul. Sure and steadfast. No wavering. No changing. So then you get to the next step, verse 13. So now you go from self-pity to self-righteousness. Uh-oh. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain, verse 13. And I've washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. Here it is. This is the summary of the struggle before he gets the answer. You know what he's saying in verses 13 to 14? I'm wasting my time being pure in heart, trying to do it God's way. Verse 13, the Hebrew is, I've kept my heart pure in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. Here's the picture. I'm praying, I'm obeying, but nothing's changing. Please understand this. Does that mean you should stop praying? Of course not. Does it mean you should stop living a pure life? Of course not. The more you pray, the more you trust God, the more you live the pure life, it will draw you closer to him, and ultimately, it may be in the next life, but ultimately you'll get an understanding of what God is doing. You think about Hebrews chapter 11. As you read through Hebrews chapter 11 and it lists all these great men and women of the faith. And in kind of a summary statement it says, they didn't see all that God was doing in this life. Talked about Abraham, looked forward to the great covenant promise that God gave Abraham. He didn't see it in this life. He looked forward to the city built without hands, the heavenly city. Eternal perspective. That's when you understand your God is good. Because he's giving you something you cannot get anywhere else. Grace to make you righteous and give you peace, hope, joy, eternal life. And so the struggle is the struggle. But in the midst of it, God is always working good those aren't just platitudes that we throw out because we don't know what to say. Our relationship with Christ is not a crux or a crutch because we don't know what to do. It's truth. It's truth. Why is that important? Because that's the only thing that can make you free. It's truth. In the midst of of all the difficulty surrounding coronavirus and COVID-19, and when you listen, which, whoever you listen to, right, left, whichever media you pick to listen to, are you like me? You get to the point, you go, you don't know what the truth is. You don't know. You're confused. 
Is God confused? Thank God, pardon the pun, he's not. I got somebody that I can trust. Has he given me the answers yet? No. But what do I know? I can trust him. And I will. And I do. See what he's going to do. So what Asaph is saying in verses 13 and 14 by saying I've washed my hands, I'm trying to live pure, I'm doing everything God's way, and you know what? It ain't working. Remember, who was Asaph? Not a neophyte again, not a new believer, a maturing believer, worship leader. He said, it just don't seem to be working. Maybe, here's what he's saying, maybe the way of the boastful and the proud and the wicked is the way to go. Just do what you want to do, have a good time, and quit worrying about this righteousness stuff. Because it's all random anyway. There's no God. It just doesn't seem to work. Despite all my efforts, look at verse 14. Again, all day long I've been plagued. Despite all my efforts to be good, I've been chastened every morning. Day, it, here's the picture. This is every day, all day, I struggle with this. I'm telling you, I'm raising my hand to tell you I've been here. Not that I question the existence of God, but that I just didn't, couldn't figure out why, why, why. What does the Lord say? You've tasted that I'm good. Now trust me. So you get to the next point. He's confused. Verse 15. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. What you get here is a transition and a shift. And I think what I'm going to do, is I'm going to share the beginning of this, and we're going to stop here today, because I don't want to get into the full answer, because it's going to take too long. I want to do that next week. But here's what I want you to see. Starting in verse 15, a shift is beginning. He's beginning to solve his dilemma. It's a turning point in this psalm. He's filled, verse 15, with doubt and despair and ready to give up. And he suddenly just stops. This is so beautiful. I'm going to share verse 15 with you, and then we're going to save the rest for next week. Verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus. In other words, if I will say, you know, I, don't, I think I'm better off to live like the wicked and the proud and the boastful and give up on God and just live eat, drink, and be ready tomorrow we die because it's all random. Nothing seems to be working anyway. If I had spoke thus, if I had said that I, Asaph, remember he's a leader. If I, Asaph, stand up and say, this is where I am. If I had done this, I would have been an untrue to the generation of your children. Now, look at me and bear with me for a moment and then we're going to be done for today. You know what he's saying in verse 15? I may be feeling this way, and I may be struggling with this, but if I stand up as a worship leader and say these things, I am going to hurt the body of believers. i got to figure this out. doesn't mean he can't go to counsel, take counsel from others. 
what he's saying is I'm not going to publicly deny God. I've got to work through this. It's one of the things we're seeing in the Church of Jesus Christ in America. I mentioned it last week. But you're seeing preachers and Christian music artists. I don't know these individuals. I don't know whether they're born again or not. But stepping out and saying, I no longer believe in God. The world's too wicked. I no longer believe in God. Are we more wicked now than they were in the days of Noah? No. Because the human heart is what? It's desperately wicked. Has been since the Garden of Eden. There's just a whole lot more of us on the planet now. And a lot more ways to be wicked. So when I as a believer, whether it's in my home, my place of business, my relationships with others, when I'm struggling, I need to get alone with God. We're going to see next week what Asaph does. And it begins there. You get alone with God. Seek his face. And if you're genuinely born again, you'll come to an understanding. Oh, okay. I love you, Dad, because you love me. I don't necessarily understand everything you're doing, Dad, but I know you wouldn't ever do anything that's not good for me. I think about some of these young people, some in the room, some across the hall. Many are not even in the building. But I guarantee you, They don't always like decisions their parents make. Sometimes they might think, my dad is stupid. I know I thought that. And then later on they'll think, boy, dad sure was smart. Or mom has no idea what she's doing. Maybe I can go around her and get dad to let me do it. And then find out later on that dad's going to do exactly what mom tells him to do anyway. (laughs) but as parents you realize you're not perfect but you can't let your kids know that can you you realize you have flaws but you want them to know how much you love them and every decision you make is always for their best even though they don't want to hear it or like it you're not doing something to hurt you're not thinking I would use Lauren and Rhett because they don't mind. They're not thinking, what can I do today to make Reese's life miserable? Even though Reese probably needs that something. What can I do today to make him just not like me today? Of course not. They love Reese. They love him, just like you do your kids. If you're a grandfather or a grandparent, you know how much. You don't even care about it. You just go to the you're just going to do what they want anyway. You need, yeah, here's some money. Don't worry about it. But as a parent, it's, it's hard sometimes. But think about it this way, and then we're going to pray. And even if you can't be here next week, please, I want you to hear next week's sermon to see how Asaph turns around. Because we all struggle and have doubts. Here's the deal. You need to understand that your God, the title of this series is what? Who's your daddy? Abba, father. Close, intimate daddy. You have to understand your daddy always makes every decision that is best for you. He doesn't make mistakes like 
Rhett might make a mistake as a father or Randy might. My dad does not make mistakes. So what I have to do is say, I don't understand and I am struggling. Help me, dad. Help me. And then I, I love you, dad. And Okay. I got it. May not understand it. May not even like it. But I got it. Would you bow your heads, please? So, Lord, as we close out our time together today, we thank you that you're our Father. You're not the God that's out there in the universe somewhere who created us and stepped back and disappeared. You're intimately involved in our personal lives because you're our dad. So, Lord, I pray that as believers, individually and corporately, we constantly would seek your face in prayer and meditating on scriptures and spending time alone with you to teach us, to love us through, to show us, Father, how important it is that we live out the fact you are good. No, we don't understand everything. And no, we don't like, no, no, we're confused at times. Yes. But that our doubt would drive us back to loving and trusting you. We thank you that you are the God who is there. He's the God who is good because you're the only God. So I pray in the difficulty of whether it's coronavirus or a loved one dying or a loved one struggling, personal struggles, whatever it might be, that as Christians, Lord, we would come back to the fact we've tasted good just by being born again. We've tasted your goodness. And now we want to share that with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.